Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. passages if you're the kind of person that likes to turn. First Timothy chapter 4, Genesis chapter 1, and Romans chapter 1. And I got to tell you, I've been waiting for this message. Uh, Pastor Jenny's not uh, uh, inaccurate. We've been studying this for months. We, we study and we talk about things for a long time before it gets to here. And I've been waiting for these me- this message, and I'm going to tell you, I only have about an hour and a half to deliver what I, well, two services, so I split that in half. So I, some of you thought, oh, I don't have, but hour and a half. But, uh, but I'm going to tell you, this is, this is going to be a power-packed message. And I'm going to warn you from the beginning. In fact, I'll give you a couple of, uh, you know, progressive warnings through. The, the part of my strategy today is I'm going to overwhelm you with scriptural evidence about God being the creator of the universe, I mean, you will not be able to argue at the end of it, unless you're going to argue with the Bible. But it's going to be a really big argument that you're going to have to make because the Bible is super, super clear. Well, Pastor Jenny mentioned we've been on a series called I've Got Questions, and this is the third message. And uh, uh, Pastor Brandon laid it out for the first two. And one of the things he said was, we're not actually answering a lot of the cultural questions. Now, we're going to, and we're providing avenues for you to ask those questions, but the series is not intending to, an- to answer them, and I'll tell you why. We're taking the strategy that Jesus taught in Luke chapter 6 when he taught that parable about the wise and the foolish builder. And here's, here's the, the moral of the story. If you'll dig down deep and you'll get your foundations on the solid word of God, Bible truth, absolute, dependable truth that's never going to change, then you'll be able to find answers to every other question. But if you don't do that, the Bible says, then you're on shaky foundation and you'll never quite be able to to satisfy or get get a real solid base on anything else that's going on. So let me give you a quick recap, not only because it's important that we're taking this with us, but it's important that you're catching on about how this is unfolding in the world right in front of our eyes. I would say more so than any time I've ever seen it since I've been on the planet. And so I kind of want to walk you through. Pastor Brandon gave us a great foundation. Let me add another layer and refresh your mind so when we get into the actual uh, meat of the teaching today, you'll be able to take that with you. So the first message was entitled, What in the World's Going On? And Pastor Brandon did a phenomenal job starting in 1 Timothy chapter 4 to show us how the Holy Spirit expressly warned us that as we get into the last days, that deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons would permeate the culture of the world, and the intent would be to replace absolute truth with subjective truth, with other beliefs that give a lot of flex and margin and customization, and the whole intent is to lead people, by the way, Christians as well, away from God. And today, Pastor Brandon pointed out how we're in a postmodern world, and I'm telling you, it it is just undeniable. It's exactly what's happening, and people by the droves are swallowing this hook, line, and sinker. Well, the next week, Pastor Brandon came back, and on his birthday, delivered a powerful and just a solid case, answering the question, can I trust the Bible? And we walked away realizing, boy, not only is the Bible the inspired word of God, 
But the Bible is such a profound historical and archaeological collection of literature over thousands of years for 40 different offers, 66 different books, three different languages, that it would be, it's impossible for anybody to ignore the validity of, 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 the, of the literature, of, of the collection that's there, but not only that, you would have to absolutely just intentionally decide to suppress the truth. And we're going to find out the Bible says that's part of what's happening. Well, as Pastor Jenny mentioned, today we're going to talk about where did it all begin. And here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that the entire Bible, not just the book of Genesis, but unapologetically proclaims that God is not only the eternal creator but God is the sovereign Lord or the sovereign sustainer of all of life. And I'm going to show you why right here at the beginning, why this is so important, because Romans chapter 1, among other passages, tells us that if we don't acknowledge that truth, then it erodes our ability, like, like in other areas of our life, in our thinking, in our ability to process and, and to reason and rationalize, it erodes our ability and sends us into a downward spiral, and, and eventually we can end up in the worst kind of, of depravity. And so th this is going on right now, and listen, not just unbelievers, but Christians are falling for this stuff. But that's why the Holy Spirit said, I'm telling you, listen to me. In the last days, this is going to be rampant, and you're going to have to really understand what's going on, or you would be susceptible as well, because th this, is, this is being really well done, and it's laid out, and if you don't understand the principles and the truths of God's word, you'll be tempted to say, well, actually, that makes a lot of sense, not when you compare it to what the Bible has already declared to be truth. So I ask you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Pastor Brandon laid this out. We're going to go over it one more time. He said, uh, or the Bible says, now the Spirit expressly says in the latter times, some, and by the way, the Greek word there is that's not just a couple, that's not just a few, that's a pretty significant number. Some, some Christians, by the way, that's who he's talking to, will depart, and this word means not just to wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I don't think I'm going to be a Christian anymore. It means to drift, little by little by little, you don't even realize you're drifting. Until one day you wake up and you're a hundred miles off course and you're like, how in the world did I get there? He said, some will depart from the faith. And this is why giving heed or listening to, paying attention, thinking about, considering what deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons are talking about. Well, the word deceiving there is important because it talks about a purposeful and an intentional influence that someone exerts over other people intentionally to lead them in the wrong direction. So it's not an accident. They, they know exactly what they're doing and exactly why they're doing this. And notice he said doctrines of demons. Well, doctrines are a masterful set of developed truths that form a principally based belief system in any particular branch of knowledge. So the, the word doctrine is not just a spiritual word. It's used out in the academic and the educational arena. But I want you to notice, too, he said here, doctrines plural, which means when we get into the last days, it's not going to just be a doctrine. It's going to be a variety, a whole bunch of different belief systems that are all working towards the same goal, and that is to lead people away from Christ. Here's something else I want you to know. This is not the only time in the New Testament this is talked about. It's exampled all the way through the Bible. We'll see that later on. 
But it's talked about all over the New Testament. Let me give you just a quick sampling. In Galatians chapter 1 and Galatians chapter 3, Paul talks about a different gospel that came in and bewitched or deceived the Galatians, turning them away from Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, he talks about deceitful doctrines that will blow through the culture and blow through churches, and they'll lead immature Christians away because they just sound so awesome. They sound so powerful. They sound so, it's so intriguing, and they'll just lead people right out of the church and right out of the things that God has for them. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, he talks about religious teachings that literally creep into houses that find their way in conversations in Starbucks, in the podcast, over TV. They creep into houses and they take advantage of people's emotion. These are not factual, fundamental, uh, 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 verifiable, absolute truths. These are truths, that, these are stories that, well, you know, I, here's what I just feel. Or I heard a message and that was powerful. Yeah, but did you notice it was heretical? Did you notice it didn't teach what the Bible said, but it was powerful and it was inspiring. And he said, this is going to be commonplace, creeping into homes. Second Timothy chapter four, verse three and four talks about these feel good teachings that scratch people's itch because people don't really want sound doctrine anymore. They don't want to have absolute Bible truths. They just want something. It's been a hard week. I'm just tired. I just need something that's going to pick me up a little bit, make me feel better about life, make me feel better about myself. And that's what he talks about. This is part of those seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. And finally, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, Brandon brought it out last week, we talk about cunningly devised fables. And the word fables there in the Greek is mythos. It's where we get myths. And he's actually talking about just stuff that people are making up. I mean, you hear stuff now that's put in a sermon. You're like, where did you get that? I mean, that, you're just making that stuff up. That's nowhere in the Bible. That's not true at all. But it fits the narrative. It fits the story. It fits the sermon that you're preaching. And so, you know, people just swallow it hook, line, and sinker. Well, let, let me kind of take it down to where Pastor Brandon uh, helped us. He gave us a three-tiered progression that's been happening over the course of the last century in the United States, really around the world, and, and we can see it uh, when, when we look at it this way. He talked about it started back in the late 19th century with a thing called modernism. And what happened was these philosophers got together and because knowledge was expanding and we're learning so much as humankind, they began to think, you know what? I, I think that we, we can now reconsider these traditional, these absolute truths, including Bible truths, and we can put them in a more contemporary lens because we're so much smarter. We, we've got so much more discovery now, and that way we can make even better decisions than we were able to before just based on the fundamental truth. Here's the irony in that that most people don't catch. It's called modernism. There's nothing modern about it. This is exactly what happened in Genesis chapter 3. When the serpent comes in and talks to Eve and said, see that tree over there? Yeah, the tree of knowledge. If you eat that tree, you're going to be so much smarter. And when you get smarter, you're going to be able to see things from God's perspective. And then you can make decisions for yourself. You, you can say, yeah, I know what God says, but you, you know what I think is best in this scenario and that's exactly what Eve did. In fact, when you keep reading, it's amazing. The Bible says, we don't know how long Adam and Eve were in the garden, but she'd been looking at that tree, you know, day in and day out. And suddenly when, this, when the, the serpent said that to her, she starts looking at the tree and she says, you know what? Now that I look at it, it does look pretty good. 
I bet you that thing would taste great, and I'll bet you that thing would really make me wise. How do you know that? Because she bought into an idea, and she's, she's processing it now, and the more she looked at it, the more appealing the idea became, and so she did just that. She bit into the apple. But just like happened in the garden, this whole phenomena of modernism that happened didn't turn out like everybody thought. Because when you're trying to pursue uh, outcomes without the guidance and the principles of God's word, it always leads you down a really bad path. You always become self-serving and end up in destruction. In fact, that's what Proverbs 19.12 tells us. There's a way that seems like it's right to a person. That part always gets me, right? This is not a haphazard decision. This may not even be rebellious decision. This is just decisions that are made without the foundation of the word of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit. You're just processing on your own. You say, you know what seems like it's right? But every time you go down that route, it leads to some form of destruction. And that's exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden. That's exactly what happened in modernism. It didn't work out. And so they advanced to the next level, introduced what we have now, Postmodernism, or the prefix post simply means next. What comes next? That didn't work, so what comes next? And it's postmodernism. And postmodernism is a move further away from absolute truths because the, the, the humanity is trying to free itself from anything that would constrain them. No, no, we can figure this out. We can figure this out. We just need to remove all the barriers. And so postmodernism is, is trying to remove all that stuff. But here's the irony again. There's nothing modern about it. Solomon, the wisest man in the Bible besides Jesus, wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, the first few verses, he said, well, now nothing makes sense. Everything's meaningless. Everywhere you look, it's all just vanity. And we don't use that word a lot. We use other words like it's all narcissism. It's all egotism. It's all arrogance. It's all pride. It's all self-centeredness and self-importance. All those are in the, the definition of vanity. And Solomon's looking and saying, yeah, see what happens when we don't follow God? See what happens when we try because we're so smart to make our own decisions? And he said, this is it. In fact, verse 9, he goes on and adds, and he said, and by the way, that's not anything new. This is just another version of what's happened over and over and over before us. You say, why? Because back in Genesis 3, deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons, were already trying to come in and lead God's people away, and they were fairly successful then, and to some degree, they're being somewhat successful now. And so what we're seeing today, when you look at this postmodernism, you're like, what in the world's going on? Listen, it's predictable. Not only that, it was prophetically promised. No, we, we shouldn't be taken by surprise. As Christians, we have the advantage to be eyes wide open and said, well, no, that's exactly what the Lord said. Well, Brandon brought us to the last one, postmodernism kind of then moved into what we have now, the latest and greatest, and this is called applied postmodernism, and really it attaches itself to something called deconstruction. And let me tell you what's going on right now. We, again, we see it in the Bible. It's the living out, but it's also the legislating into law, the abandonment of absolute truth. And we're exchanging it for more subjective truth, your truth, my truth, the university's truth, the government's truth, really any truth except for the truth of the word of God. And all of this, according to the Bible, is the work of deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So today we're going to go all the way back to the beginning and we're going to say, okay, so where did this whole thing begin? And the goal that we have today is we're going to answer three very fundamental questions. Number one, who is God? 
Number two, how did life as we know it begin? And number three, why that it mattered? And again, because Pastor Brandon already built the case and, and verified for us that the Bible is absolute truth. Again, I'm going to overwhelm you with Bible evidence today. And, uh, and I'm going to just convince you and show you that Scripture is true and this really matters. But that last question, why does it matter? Well, I've already mentioned it once, but it matters because once you know who the eternal God and the creator and the owner of everything and everybody is, well, then you can accept his answers to any question. He, he's the one who designed it, right? He's, he's sovereign God. He's the all-knowing, the all-powerful God. Why wouldn't we go to the source who has everything in perfect understanding and perfect knowledge? If you believe he's the creator and the sovereign sustainer, the Lord overall, then it's easy for you to go back to the Bible and say, well, I, I know about all that. That actually sounds pretty rational. But the Bible says... And I'm going to trust that God's smarter than anybody on the planet, everybody on the planet, uh, all put together. And that's what God's trying to get us to. But here's what else is interesting. If you don't do that, if you don't answer that first question beyond any shadow of a doubt, then let me tell you what happens. Uh, you have no foundation for everything else. So Genesis chapter 1, the first two verses just boldly and unapologetically gives us the, the, the foundation we need when it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the earth. Let me just kind of uh, draw your attention to this. In, in this opening uh, monologue of, of Genesis chapter one, the Bible gives, makes no attempt to prove that God is God. None doesn't qualify. It doesn't say, well, this is why we think that, or this is why we know that. It just says, look, here's the bottom line. It is God created everything. Drop the mic. Amen. Exclamation point. That's just the way it is. In fact, that's not the goal of Genesis to do that or any other book of the Bible. If you want to try to prove that, then you're going to have to go to philosophical and theoretical kind of reasoning and question. And listen, the seminaries are full of this kind of stuff. But you're going to have to go there for that. But here's the challenge or the problem there. When you're walking down in philosophy or, or theory, you're always going to come back to more philosophies and more theory. Because none of these things are really absolute truth. And by the way, that's exactly what 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7 said, referencing these deceitful spirits and these doctrines of demons. It says that it's going to lead people down a trail, listen to this, where there'll be ever learning, always learning, but never being able to come into the full knowledge of truth. They're always learning something new, right? But they never really know what's going on. I've been in, in, in college, seminary, sitting under professors, and you get out of the class and you're like, so wait, what does the Bible mean? With well, we, we can't really know what the Bible means. Then why am I here? Why am I paying all this money for you to tell me there's four different options and it's just kind of spin the wheel and see which one fits the best, you know, on this occasion. But that's not at all what, what God came up with. In fact, Genesis chapter one again proclaims that God is the divine creator and it assumes that it's foolish for us to consider any other example. Now, this is all over the Bible. Let me give you a couple right here so you can see the importance of understanding that and, and what happens when you don't. We're looking, looking, Psalm chapter 19, verse one through four. I'm just gonna read it to you. It says, the heavens, 
the heavens proclaim the glory of God and the skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is never heard. And yet their message has gone throughout the earth and all the worlds, uh, in, throughout all the world and to the worlds. Now listen to Romans chapter one. This is going to be a longer passage than normal. But some of you have never read the whole narrative in its entirety, and I want you to read it, and I want, as you read it, I want your eyes to be open and say, that's exactly what's going on today. I mean, like, you, you could be reading a news headline. It, it's like someone scripted this 2,000 years ago, and we're just now, as a culture, stepping onto the stage and living it out. And I want you to listen to this, Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky through everything God made, and they can clearly see his his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their mind became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Let me just stop and add a little bit of accent there. This particular word fools in the Greek is the word moreno. It's where we get moron. The Bible's not pulling punches. It it means an imbecile, an idiot, a stooge, okay? And and he's saying, these guys went completely off the rails. And listen, you know that because you're listening to them, you're like, what? What? And they're, you know, they're, they're looking super intellectual and all academic, and they're laying out their case. And the more they talk, you're like, what are you even saying? Are you listening to yourself? And that's exactly what the Bible says was going to happen. We're picking up in verse number 23. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-loving God, they worship idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. And so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful thing their heart desired. And as a result, they did vile things and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things that God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen, so be it, exclamation point. Drop the mic right there. Verse 26, that's why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural of the, the, the natural way to have sex and instead indulge in sex with each other. And men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserve. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that never should have been done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness. I want you to notice when they didn't acknowledge God, but weren't even appreciative of God, then the Bible says they started going down this pathway. And when they get far enough down the pathway, all of a sudden it's like you, you, there's no recovery. You, you can't, the slide gets steeper and, and, and it, it's, it's more slippery and you just start plummeting. It says this, their lives became full 
of every kind of wickedness, and here's the list, sin and greed and hate and envy and murder and quarreling and deception and malicious behavior and gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. That's not just slipping in. They're like, that one's weird. That means if the, if the family is the central unit to teach children how, how to respect authority, it means all the way from the court, all the way out, they lose all respect for authority. Every authority everywhere, but it's so bad that it actually they don't even care about mom and dad anymore. Verse 31, they refuse to understand, they break their promises, they're heartless, they have no mercy. And here, here, here's the, the closing lines. Listen, they know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die. And yet, they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. That's the result of deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And again, you're reading this and you're like, that's exactly what happens. Listen, when a culture ceases to acknowledge the obvious and the intelligent design and the oversight of a, of a divine creator, then according to this passage and a number of others, all other absolutes make, become vulnerable and they become deceived and they fall into the worst kind of depravity in humanity. Again, if you haven't caught it, welcome to 2023. This is happening everywhere. Listen, I, I need you to see that Pastor Brandon laid a phenomenal foundation and I need you to see this is not just a religious thinking. This is not just a topic that, you know, we're kind of reading from the Bible. This is real life. That anytime you turn on the TV or anytime you see a news headline or anytime you know you get the podcast or the Facebook feed and something's like, what in the world? I want you to think back on this passage. Oh, never mind. I know what's going on. It's, it's deplorable. It's, it's horrendous. It's horrific. But I know exactly what's going on. It was predictable, and it was prophetically promised that this is what's happening. So with that, I, I want to open up, uh, I open up this, this the, kind of the last section of the message. I want to talk about three different approaches that are being taught today, uh, primarily the first two, in our education from kindergarten all the way up into universities, and they have to do with how we see God. And I'll, I'll show you a couple things you may not be thinking about. The first one is uh, the theory of evolution. I'm sure you've thought about it before. But really the center of this idea is that all matter, all the substance that everything and everybody is made of, all the cellular, the molecule, all of those substantive uh, elements, that those are actually eternal. Or they would explain it this way, that all of that substance has always existed, albeit not in the same form. But over time and by a process of chance that it just began to evolve into the complex life forms that we have now. And that's the theory of evolution. And I'm telling you, it's being pushed and bought hook, line, and sinker. Here's number two that you'll recognize. It's called the Big Bang Theory. And it's not that matter's eternal, but that at some point, this energy that they don't know where that came from, but this energy all of a sudden had a, had a spontaneous explosion or a burst and matter came into being. In other words, quite literally, according to their theory, one minute there was no matter and the next minute, bang, and now matter exists. Now, here's what I want you to understand that you, you, most of the time you, they, it doesn't get taught, okay? Both of these are labeled and known as theories, the theory of evolution, the Big Bang theory. 
And you can go look up in any dictionary, in any academic arena, and you'll find out that a theory is a generally accepted idea or a set of principles that even though they can't be validated, at this point in understanding seem to present a plausible explanation. Here's what else I want you to know about about theories is that theories, because they're not validated, theories, and we'll limit it to scientific theories for this particular uh, teaching, listen, they're being proven wrong all the time. Experiment happens, knowledge increases, and all of a sudden, oh, we thought it was this, but, but it's this. Let me give you one of the ones that rocked my world. In 2006, the International Astronomical Union uh, made this public global announcement that Pluto was no longer a planet. I thought, all the science experiments, all the astronomy and all those floating mobiles, getting, the, getting the, the planets to circle around the sun, man, I had to go back and ask the teacher to regrade all that stuff because I was wrong. I shouldn't have passed that stuff. Pluto's not even a planet. And this is happening all the time. Listen to me. And yet today in in education from the start all the way to the higher up grades, evolution, the theory of evolution, the Big Bang Theory is being taught as a scientific fact. No, this is how it is. But listen, there's a third option. It's disappearing in education. But there's a third option and this option's not a theory. This option is an absolute fact, and I'll go on to say, listen, we just read in Romans chapter 1, everybody knows it. Now, they're not willing to admit it, right? But everybody knows it because the Bible said the reason everybody knows the truth is because God made it manifest to them. And the Greek word means that God literally imprinted into their inner conscience. They know the difference. That's why Romans chapter one can make these bold statements, even though they know God, even though they know that what they're doing deserves punishment of death, you say, but how do they know? They're screaming, no, this isn't true. Yeah, because this inner conscience is screaming to them, and so they're having to scream to everybody else to try to prove to themselves and everyone something that in their heart they know is not true. We know this because the Bible says it. There's not a human being that's born that God didn't weave it into their inner conscience to the deepest part of who they are. This craving, this wanting to know who this God is, this leaning in and the ability to see stuff, not just look at the sun and the trees, and, but all the time you had these moments. I, I remember some of, the, some of the ones that really caught my attention. I mean, I, we, we lived in Southern California, so I'm at Disneyland. And I'm, I'm standing at these big Disney parades and, and I got, you know, Brandon or Brittany or one of the kids on my shoulders so they can see and the Disney parade's going by and something sung or something said and I got these big tears rolling down my face because all of a sudden inside of me I went, that's exactly how God thinks. This is happening to people all the time. All the time, God makes sure of it. So there won't be anybody ever who stands in front of a just God and say, well, I didn't know. I didn't. Yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah, you did but you suppressed it. You, 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 you chose to believe something else besides believing and trusting what God said. And this is what the Bible's trying to get across to us. This is really, really important that we recognize. So creationism is a fact, not a theory. And this means that all matter is divinely created. It's not eternal. It didn't happen with some burst of energy, but all matter was divinely created by a God who stands beyond time 
and who called matter into existence by his authority and by his sovereign power. In fact, that's revealed to us in the first three Hebrew words of Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. It's Rashith bara Elohim. And we have it translated in English as, in the beginning God created. And just in those first three words, they're so powerfully, procl- uh, uh, they give such a powerful proclamation that here, here's how it happened. In the beginning, God created, and in, in say, just looking at that, we can know three things. Number one, God's eternal, God is the creator, and God's the sovereign sustainer of everything. So let me start with the first one there, and we'll just kind of move quickly here. Number one, God is eternal. And again, Genesis chapter one says, in the beginning, God created Rashith bara Elohim. That word Rashith is not a reference to time and space. In the beginning, it's not saying, okay, it all started right here. It's a, it's a reference to that which is beyond time and space. It, it, in other words, it's not talking about, you know, a long, 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 long time ago. It's talking about, no, no. At some point in a realm that's beyond time and space. Like, like you, you, could, you could help your brain to grab this if you just took a sheet of paper and you drew a timeline. And on one side of the timeline, you say, you know, the world started, God created the earth. And on the other side of the timeline, you say, book of Revelations, the world's going to end. Right? So you have your timeline. Then you can start filling in if you want Adam and Eve, and, and then there's Abraham, and, and then there's Moses, and, and then there's the prophets, and, and then there's Jesus. And you, you could put all this stuff in your timeline, and when you're all done, step back and say, okay, now, where do I put God? Nowhere. He doesn't live on that timeline. God literally is God. He lives beyond time and space. He's always existed. You say, how do we know that? Let me just give you a few examples from the Bible. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Psalm 90, verse two, it says, from everlasting to everlasting, you're God. First Timothy chapter one, verse 17, to the king of ages, to the immortal, invisible, the only God. Hebrews chapter seven, verse three. He's without father and mother or genealogy having neither a beginning of days or an end of life. Revelations chapter 22, Jesus introduced himself and says, I'm the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. The Bible is clear that God is everlasting. God is eternal. Now, again, here's another cultural irony. Okay, this is crazy. But if you dare to say in any academic environment, well, I just believe God's eternal. If they're courteous, you might get the response, well, I don't know that we can really go into that. I don't think we can really buy into that. And your response could be, really? You don't believe that God's eternal, but you believe matter and energy is internal and you can't prove that. See, the, 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 the interesting thing here, one of those beliefs will get you top marks in the class and you'll get to be part of the intellectually elite. The other one of those beliefs will get you labeled as narrow-minded and as a religious fanatic. And yet, all scientific theories agree. And there's different versions of the theory of evolution and the Big Bang Theory. There's all these split off branch versions. Doesn't matter what version. They all agree something has to be eternal. The question is, is it matter? Is it energy? Or is it divine, a divine creator that 
everything around us screams. There's an intelligent design here. And listen, this is important because how you answer that is literally going to affect every other question, every other process that you have in coming to conclusions about things. Let me give, like, let me give you a really important example one for us in the New Testament. In John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. We know that's talking about Jesus. It, it will identify that later in the passage. But here's what's important that we understand. When it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, listen, that means that when Jesus came into the world through Mary's womb, that's not when Jesus came into existence. That's just when the eternal God wrapped himself in a human body. See, it's important we understand that because when we understand that, then we can step back and look at the rest of the scriptural evidence and the testimonies of, of, of people since the beginning of time, and we can begin to understand, okay, so listen, he is more than just a good teacher. He was more than just a historical figure. He's eternal God in the flesh. He's Emmanuel. And it's important we understand this because the Bible teaches from cover to cover there, will never, there was never a time when God didn't exist. There will never be a time when God didn't exist. Matter and energy are not eternal. There was a point in time when God called them into being, but God is eternal. And that's the first word that comes out in the Hebrew in the Bible when it says rashith, God's eternal. Here's the second one, the second thing, and that is that God's the divine creator. Again, it says in the beginning, God created Rashith bara Elohim. That word bara, bara it, when it says created, is not mean to make something. It really means to, to call something into existence out of nothing. And that's why if you do some studying, all the scholars agree that particular word is always and only attached to God. Because as human beings, we have the ability to make something out of something. We can get super creative and innovative and, and you know, have, have all kinds of wonderful designs. We, we do not have the ability to make something out of nothing. Only God has that ability. And this is an important distinction. And that's why it's important because, listen to me, if you believe the universe is eternal, then listen, then God didn't create the world out of nothing. God created the world out of something. And if God created the world out of something, then the Genesis chapter 1 uh, account of creation is inaccurate. And if the Genesis chapter 1 creation is inaccurate, then the whole Bible is inaccurate because the whole Bible is based on the acceptance of that first proclamation. In the beginning, there was a holy, divine, eternal God, and he started the whole thing. The whole Bible is based on that assumption or based on that truth. In, in fact, this is the part where I told you I was going to overwhelm you with scripture, right? If, if you like to take notes, don't bother trying to write any of the scriptures down. You can try to capture the addresses, but I'm going to go like in a quick machine gun. And let me tell you why I'm doing that. I really debated, do I need to read all this stuff? I can't just tell you there's an overwhelming evidence because at this point in our culture, that's going to go in one ear and out the other. I, I can't show all of it, but I'm going to show you enough of it to where you begin to get the idea this is cover to cover in the Bible. And here's what I want you to understand also. If you don't embrace and you don't just settle this thing once and for all, that God is the divine creator, he created something out of nothing, then listen to me, you literally are gonna have to be skeptical or throw away the rest of your Bible because the Bible's built on this foundation. Okay, let me, let me just quickly run through a sampling and show you why it matters. All right, 
We've already covered Genesis. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 11 says, for in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. So now we have to reject the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch because they're written by one person as a collection. They go together. And if we don't believe Genesis and we don't believe Exodus, you got to throw the first five books away. All right. Well, what about Job? Because Job is the oldest book that we have in the Bible. Job 38 verse four, it says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you understand. Okay, so Job, the oldest book of the Bible, that's out. Well, at least we have Psalms, right? Because that's, that's the most inspirational one. We can go there to comfort ourselves. Psalm chapter eight, verse three, when I consider the heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have ordained. Psalm 96, verse five, for all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Psalm 102, verse 25, of old, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. Psalm 115, verse 15, may you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. Psalm 121, verse two, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Psalm 134, verse three, the Lord who made, the, who made heaven and earth blesses you from Zion. Psalm 136, verse five, to him who by wisdom made the heavens for, the, for his mercy endures forever. Psalm 146, verse six, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them who keeps his truth forever. Psalm 148, verse four through five, Praise him, you heavens of heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. Let's just keep right on going. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 26. While as yet he had not made the earth, or the fields, or the primal dust of the world, when... Uh, when he, when he prepared the heavens, wisdom was there. And when he drew the circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned the sea its limits so the waters could not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse one. Remember now the creator, your creator in the days of your youth before difficult days come. And the years draw when you say, I have no pleasure in them. All right, so now we've got to get rid of all the wisdom books because all of them are really clear. It's based on them knowing it's a creator, but that's okay. At least we have the prophets. They'll tell us about the future, right? Wrong. Isaiah 37 verse 16. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, all the kings of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. We've already read Isaiah 40, 28. Isaiah 45 verse 18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who's God, who framed the earth and made it, who established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I'm the Lord and there is no other. Jeremiah chapter 10 verse 12. He has made the earth by his power. He's a established the worlds by his wisdom, has stretched out the heavens at his discretion. Jeremiah 32, verse 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. Jeremiah 51, verse 15. He has made the earth by his power. He's established the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heaven by his understanding. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all of its hosts, the earth and 
everything in it, the seas and all that's in them, and you preserve them, the host of heaven worships you. Well, there goes all the prophets. What about the New Testament then? We still have the New Testament. Matthew chapter nine, verse four. And he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made him at the beginning made them male and female? Mark chapter 13, verse 19. For in those days, there will be tribulation such as not been since the beginning of creation, which God created until the time nor ever shall be. John chapter one, verse one through three. We've read part of it. We're gonna finish it. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. Acts chapter four, verse 24. And so when they heard, they raised their voices to, to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Acts chapter 17, verse 24. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heavens and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Well, so now we got to get rid of the gospels and the book of Acts, which tells us about the beginning and the birth of the church. But at least we still have Paul's epistles, all the letters to the churches to tell us how to live, right? Not true. Romans chapter one, verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and the Godhood so that they are without excuse. First Corinthians chapter eight, verse six. Yet for us, there's one God, the father of whom are all things. And we have for him, uh, and we're, we are for him. And one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things created and through whom we, we, through whom we live. Ephesians chapter three, verse nine. And to make all these what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter one, verse 16. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones and dominion or principalities or power, all things were created through him and for him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse three. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Second Peter chapter three, verse five, for this is this, they will fully forget that the word of God, the heavens, uh, that by the word of God, the heavens were, uh, were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. So say goodbye to all the epistles, but hey, maybe we have revelations left. Revelations chapter three, verse 14. And to the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, these things says the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of creation of God. Revelations chapter 10, verse five and six. The angels who I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, the sea and the things that are in it. Revelation 21, verse six. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the foundation of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Revelations chapter 22, verse 13. Again, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of the end and the first and the last. Now that is a ton of scripture, way more than you needed. I know I just fire hydrant and overwhelmed you, but it's so important that you begin to recognize when people say, yeah, but you know, I know I believe the Bible. It's just, you know, the creation thing and, you know, six days. And I, I don't know. I, ju I just kind of listen. It's never just about that. Never just about that. If you give up on the fact that the Bible boldly and unapologetically and continuously declares that there's an eternal God who created on, uh, the universe, then let me just be honest with you rationally, logically, you give up on the whole Bible. 
You lose the law, you lose the wisdom books, you lose the prophets, you lose the gospels, you lose Acts, you lose the epistles, and you use Revelation. So again, when somebody says, yeah, I, don't, I just don't think that's a really big deal, listen to me. They're either uninformed or they're deceived. And either way, if they're teaching that, or if they're openly discussing, leaning into that, then not only that, the Bible says they're deceiving others. I'm not saying they mean to, I'm just saying they're part of this seducing spirit and this doctrine of demon that's eroding the foundation of absolute truth and knowledge. Because the clear and consistent message of the Bible is there's an eternal God who's a divine creator of all things. Let, let me just cover the last one quickly. The last one is that God is the sovereign sustainer of all. And let me read Genesis chapter one, verse one and two for the last time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the earth. This is important because it tells us that creation wasn't just completed in a moment. It's not like God stood up at some point in time and said, now, and everything just came into being in its perfect and pristine form. The Bible doesn't even tell us that. In fact, you can keep reading and the first two chapters of Genesis layers back over itself showing us day after day how God was creating and shaping and forming and fashioning and establishing everything over six days. And each time he was evaluating and saying, yeah, that's really good. Yeah, that's really good. We'll start again tomorrow. Yep, that's really good. That's really good. And on the seventh day, he rested and declared it as a day of Sabbath and reflection so that we would never, ever forget this eternal creator who started it all and who sustains it all. You see, this is important that we begin to understand because if we don't understand that, then we buy into these other things. Like there's this idea in Christianity floats around and it's called deism. And the idea is that God was kind of like a Swiss watchmaker, right? He made the earth and then he wound it up and then he stepped back and he just started and God ever since has been uninvolved. God just kind of watches, waiting for time to run out, and then he'll step back in because everything's about the predestined, sovereign plan of God, and we just kind of watching us muddle through life, and you don't find that anywhere in the Bible. What you do find consistently is that this divine creator is consistently and intimately and actively involved in his creation, so much so that we can factually conclude, listen to me, in all of the time since the beginning all the way through to now, there's not been one random molecule in the whole universe that at any point in time, God doesn't know exactly where it's at. He doesn't have control over it. Now listen, you have to know that. Because if you really know that and you understand this is what the Bible teaches, then you think about your situation or you hear people say God's in control and you're like, really? Because it doesn't look like it. Oh yeah, not one random molecule. God knows every little decision, every little twist and turn. God's moving this thing. I'm not saying that everything happens by God's design. I'm saying that God watches over and God sustains every single little bit of part of it. God knows your situation. And when the Bible says his promises are true, you ought to lean into that. Lord, here's what's going on, but you promised me. 
because this is a God that is involved. That's why the psalmist David reveals in Psalm 139, he says, so where can I go from your spirit? And then he goes on that, like this long list of places where well, I tried this and I tried that. He says, where can I flee from your presence? Let me just skim verse eight through 11 for you because we don't have time. He says, what if I ascend into heaven? Oh, you're there. What if I descend into hell? Yep, you're there. What if I get up super early in the morning? Yeah, you're already there. He says, what if I go to the depths of the ocean? You're there. What if I go to the darkest place in the universe? Well, it lights up like it's daytime because you're there. And you have similar things that are happening now. Some be, ah, I don't go for all that religion stuff. I'm all about science. Okay, go ahead. Genesis is already there. It'll, it'll meet you there. You say, yeah, but I'm all about the law, you know, the laws of nature and the laws of this. Yeah, go ahead. That's perfect. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, they've, they've already laid the foundation for you. They'll meet you there. Yeah, but I'm about pragmatism. You know, I just want practical stuff. Great. All the wisdom books, they're way ahead of you. Any, anything you find in secular society that actually works, you can trace that route back to Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, uh, Psalm. All, all of those are already there. You say, well, I'm about philosophy. Yeah, great. Then look through the epistles. Paul talking to the people in Athens, you know, the Aragopagus, and he's telling them, you've got an unknown God. Let me tell you about that. Because they had this philosophy, right? They were smart enough to know that creation had this intentional design and something keeping this going. They just couldn't connect all the dots. So they've got all these other gods that they made up, but they said, we're going to put this one here that's the unknown God, and we're going to let that one represent that one X factor that we can't figure out. And Paul says, ooh, pick me. I can tell you exactly how all this comes together. And then he does. So it doesn't matter where you want to go. Listen, there's not a place, there's not a discipline, there's not a study, there's not an intellectual thing that you can run to and God won't have been there way ahead of you because he's the eternal creator and he's the sovereign sustainer of everything. In fact, that's why Jesus in Matthew 28, 18, when he, after he resurrected, he made this declaration. He said, all power has been given to me. He didn't say a lot of power. He didn't say most power. He said all power has been given to me in heaven and earth. Why? Because it was given to him by his father who's the eternal creator and the sovereign sustainer over all of life. Not one random molecule. Not one iota. Not one moment of your life. Not one thought. Not one situation. Not one challenge that God hasn't already come, uh, brought us an answer to. Which brings us back to these seducing spirits and these doctrines of demons. Because listen to me again. Anybody who's trying to teach that creationism that is a matter of an explosion of energy, is a matter of, of all matter, all substance being existence. Listen to me, they're either deceived or, or they're just completely uninformed. Because the Bible says not only does the, is the evidence overwhelming that this is intelligent, there has to be a, a divine being that stood outside of time because all, everything else is a theory. This one makes sense. But not only that, Romans chapter one says, by the way, you already know it. You know it. It's in your heart. You're made in the image of God and there's something that draws you and recognizes this. And if you just do some study, all of history validates. As far back as history dominates uh, or documents, every tribe, every people group all over the planet in the deepest, darkened places, in the hidden jungles, they all know there's an intelligent creator. 
They all have the same system of understanding and, and, and of worship, and they lean towards there's something that is outside of this whole thing that not only created that, that but that, that's causing it to drive. This is, and, and, and the Bible tells us exactly who it is. Let me kind of conclude it here. So where did it all begin? Genesis makes it super clear to us, boldly, unapologetically. It says, in the beginning, there was an eternal God And he created the heavens and the earth. And from there, he continues to sovereignly sustain and watch over all of his creation and will all the way to the end. Not one random molecule, not one moment, not one split second in your life that God's not aware of and not willing to move. You say, why does that matter? Two reasons. Number one, because your belief in God as an eternal creator and a sovereign sustainer, number one, establishes the foundation for everything else that you believe. If you know the Bible's true and the eternal creator is the one who authored it and the one who's monitoring it, then listen, every other answer can be, can be brought to this. But here's the more pertinent reason for you and I. Because you believing that there's an eternal creator and a sovereign sustainer will determine where you spend eternity. Because that same Bible that boldly and unapology proclaimed that God is the eternal creator and the sovereign sustainer also proclaims that he's the one who holds time in his hand. And at some point, he will bring this all to a conclusion. And the Bible tells us those who honor him and those who believe and accept him, the Bible says we have in store for us an eternity of tremendous blessing, unimaginable blessing. But those who've been deceived and those who have rejected him, the Bible says they're going to live uncertainty in uncertainty and confusion here on the earth. And then at some point they'll move into an eternity of suffering that they they just can't, there's not even words to describe it. And that's what we're going to talk about tomorrow. I mean, next Sunday. Today is what, where did it begin? Next Sunday is where does it all end? And we have to understand this. If we do, everything else can make sense. If we don't, You're going to be always learning, always looking at another approach, another flaw. Well, that's interesting, and you'll never come to the the knowledge of the truth. Well, if you stand to your feet with me this morning, we're going to close. Heavenly Father, we have just looked at your word from cover to cover today. Holy Spirit, you're the teacher. We know that information alone won't convince anybody. But Lord, it's going to take the word of God. It's going to take the spirit of God to come and open our eyes to that, that, that this is really truth, that it's eternal truth, everlasting. And I pray in the name of Jesus today that you would help us to come to that conclusion once and for all. Lord, if there's anybody in here who has never accepted you or anybody in here that is vacillating, they're part of that drift and they're moving far from you, I pray in the name of Jesus that today's the day that they rededicate their life, that they give their heart to you for the first time. And Lord, we thank you that you'll monitor and you're the one who's going to move all that towards that direction in Jesus' name. In fact, as we close today, we're going to sing a worship song in just a moment. But can we just keep our head bowed and our eyes closed and let's all say this prayer together. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, we believe that you're God. We believe that you're the one who created everything. That you're the one who's watching over our life. That nothing escapes your attention and nothing's impossible for you. We accept you as our Lord and Savior right now. Thank you for washing us clean. Thank you for refreshing and rejuvenating us. Thank you for moving us forward in confidence. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. 
Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.